Welcome to Who Knows Real Estate, episode 18, Buying and Refinancing Larger Deals. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jim. And today, our guest, Roy Koppelman, shares his experience buying multifamily deals, refinancing out, and finding more. All right. Today, we're lucky enough to have Roy Koppelman with us. Roy, uh, I've known you for a few months and tried to get you on here a couple of times. Would you mind telling folks a little bit about what you're up to these days? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Excited to be on the podcast. Uh, I was uh, eager to find a time slot that worked, and so I'm glad uh, glad uh, that that's been possible. So uh, excited to be here. Thank you guys very much for having me. What I'm working on at the moment, uh, I'm repositioning a couple of apartment complexes. So I got a 32 unit that I'm repositioning. We're in the last quarter of that, so. 24 of the units uh, renovated and rented up. So we're in the kind of the last eight uh, on that complex. I have a, uh, another complex, it's an 82 unit uh, in Gastonia, and uh, we're making uh, good progress on that one. Um, shortly after acquisition on that property, um, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a high turnover, uh, but uh, uh, oddly, that actually worked in our in our favor because that opened the door to uh, renovate more units than we initially anticipated. So the upside of that, although it was a, a little uh, uncomfortable there for a bit, the upside is that uh, we've already uh, we acquired it in June and we've renovated uh, over 25 of the units in an 82 unit apartment complex. So. Uh, a little bit more capex than we anticipated, but uh, the upside is that uh, we're a lot further along uh, than we thought we'd be relative to the business plan on that. So uh, uh, those are two of the things I've got going on. I got another sort of steady state uh, apartment complex asset, um, and that's just kind of humming along. And then uh, uh, taking inspiration from uh, Kevin here, uh, I'm, uh, I'm building a house in uh, Myers Park. So I want to hopefully in this this year and the coming couple of years uh, pick pick the uh, new construction projects up a little bit. Cool. And the um, you said you spent a little more on the CapEx uh, on the recent purchase, but are you coming um, above rent rolls that you expected or how's the rental rate? Yeah. So I, I think um, just, you know, I, I don't know how granular we want to get, but um, when I acquired the property in Gastonia, I think top rents were in the $650 range, um, and that was kind of maxing out our three-bedroom, one-bath units. And uh, we have achieved uh, $875 at that property wow. uh, with a with an investment of uh, about $3,000 per door. Wow. So that's, that's strong return. Yeah. That. that I'm very pleased with that. I'm very pleased with that. Um, so I got 18 very, month payback. Yeah, so we're doing <clears throat> we're doing pretty good on that one. But as of the today's date, which is uh, Feb what six seventh seventh Feb seventh, uh, you know we're just coming out of the slow season for rental. Yeah. Um, so you know the holidays. So we're we're seeing that 875 in uh late november early december but then with the holidays things have slowed down but we're now start seeing a yeah, pick. it's about to be leasing season <clears throat> yeah we're now seeing a pickup and uh you know everybody is uh working real hard to to move the product that we have so we're kind of we had a little uh, surplus of um of renovated rent ready units uh but we're you know we're absorbing that and uh, now we're looking at what do we do next? You know, do, how, how, how aggressive do we want to be about um, renovating as units become available? Given the absorption we're seeing, I think, you know, we're going to 
adopt a strategy that uh, we renovate everything as soon as it becomes available. Other operators uh, take a different approach where they renovate a portion, say maybe 25% or or 25 to 50%, and they leave the remaining uh, 50% as uh, uh, classic units or legacy units or whatever you know, verbiage you want to apply to them. Um, I, I take much more aggressive approach where if I see that the absorption is there, um, I want to renovate everything. Yeah. So that's where we're at. So uh, um, the 12 units I have, uh, which happens to be around the corner from where we're uh, recording this podcast, uh, that's a sort of real steady state. That's a real steady state asset. And, um, and uh, so... Those are the three big assets, and then it's uh, new construction stuff that I, like I said, take inspiration from you, Kevin, and uh, <laughs> eager to get the, to to pick that up. So you talk you talk about your aggressive approach, which I'd agree with, and I, I, the part of your story I really like is uh, you were just a few short years ago you were in corporate America and. You've really done all this in the very, very recent past. So I mean, talk about aggressive approach. Like I think it's I take my hat off to you. I think that's amazing what you've done in a few short years to have properties, you know, in the 80, 80 units here, thirty units there. Like a lot a lot of folks come out and, you know, they're hitting a a, a quad or a, a yeah, duplex. A duplex and they're like, I'm in multifamily. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about that transition for you coming out of, you know, a corporate job and, and jumping right in? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, uh, thank you for your your perspective on that. Um, what I what what I can say is that uh, I've been a real estate investor for approximately ten years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, a little over ten years ago, and uh, at the time I moved here, um, they were selling three bedroom, two bath houses uh, for about forty five thousand dollars. I was surveying the landscape of my investment opportunities, my investment options, and I felt certain, <laughs> pretty certain, that that was the best uh, investment opportunity that I saw, uh, especially where I was controlling my future and controlling, you know, influencing the outcome uh, versus, say, a stock or you know, bond investment, you know, something a little bit, a little bit more conventional through like a advisor, and so. Uh, when I first moved here, I you know I bought I bought three rental houses. So I came with a little bit of uh, investable cash from Chicago. My real estate that I had there, my primary residence was you know a little bit more expensive than a primary residence right. here, and so I had some some surplus that was investable, and uh, and bought the the three single family houses. Bought some three single family houses, three bedroom, two bath. Uh, uh, post '90s build, you know, I think maybe in the early 2000s build, and did really well with those. You know, uh, I, I think about the key metric. The key metric is is it a one percent deal, right? And so I would think that that most of your listeners on the podcast know a one percent deal, but as a by way of refresher, a one percent deal says that if I buy a property for a hundred thousand uh, dollars, then I want my one month rent to at least be a thousand dollars. That's a one percent rule. Uh, if you follow that rule, you're almost always safe. Well, I was buying these properties for uh, forty five thousand dollars, and my monthly rate, uh, monthly rent was eight hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. 
borderline two percent two percent or two bagger you know uh two bagger which is uh not not widely available uh today you know you can't find that kind of opportunity today so i bought the three single family homes feeling pretty good because there are two baggers before i even knew that rule existed you know i mean i i was such a novice i hadn't read any books uh i i just was very much winging it very much winging it um well that's a great point so did you start getting in? Well, I guess you're working on that, but what got you motivated to go to the next step? Well, there's sort of an evolution. I, I After buying the, the three houses, and I kept trying to buy houses. This is this was sort of funny, because uh, with the benefit of hindsight, what I was doing was so kind of ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I was, I was hot off of the success of buying the three single families. So I just kept putting in offers, but I probably put in like 50 offers. So for the first three they just the offer got submitted it got accepted uh it was real straightforward offer acceptance contract uh it was not a high level of offers relative to acceptance like maybe like a wholesale model or something like that it was just a straight hey here it is here's an offer oh great it's at i'm you know i like your price i'm going to take your price as is and they uh and we just had contracts but all of a sudden that stopped happening uh, the offers were being submitted and they were not being accepted and they were being submitted at relatively high volume. And I couldn't really understand. I'm like, oh man, I went too asking uh, and they weren't accepting. I went a little bit over asking and they weren't accepting. And now with the benefit of hindsight, I know that it was institutional money coming in and they were just, you know, they were just sweeping the board, right? Yeah. Um, so they were coming in. I, I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't have clarity on what was happening. I knew something was happening. <laughs> I yeah. just didn't know what. Um, so, uh, But I still had some investable cash, and I was still interested in doing something. And I talked to my real estate agent who, I, I mean, I'm buying $45,000 houses. She wasn't in love with me. You know, I mean, I wouldn't do anything really for her. But it was, you know, it was a little bit of business anyway. And it was coming off of a time where, business was probably pretty slow for a real estate agent. So I think, anyway. So it's um, like, Roy, have you thought about some duplexes? And I was like, ah, duplexes, I like that. I like that, let's do it. And so I bought a, uh, two, two duplexes around the corner from my, my current house. Um, and then one additional duplex became available. And I'm starting to get a little low on cash at this point. Uh, but, uh, but I was able to, <clears throat> to acquire three duplexes Two of them were 60 product, and then one was a uh, early 2000 product. Uh, the early 2000 product was real good, good for me. I'm going on a little bit, uh, but I'm trying to get to a, a point. Um, so got the duplexes, got three single families, and I had just a little bit of money left at that point. And uh, we're looking for duplexes at that at that time, and duplexes start coming in short supply. And finally, uh, my agents like Roy. Have you ever thought about buying an apartment complex? <laughs> and seriously, still at this point, I had never read a single real estate investing book. Uh, I had not one. Uh, I was like, an apartment complex? That's what rich people do. I mean, I just, I, it was, my mind was so blown. My mind was so blown by the prospect of it. I just couldn't really wrap my head around it. But one thing I could wrap my head around was the price per door. I was pretty lucky at this point. I'm buying, you know, these three two single families for forty five thousand dollars a door. Um, I'm I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Well, she shows me an apartment complex 
I'm using uh, Charlotte Geography. So for the people, apologies to the people who wouldn't um, wouldn't know where this is. But she takes me off of Beatty's Ford and shows me a 20 unit apartment complex for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So wow. that mm. is like sixteen grand a door. <laughs> yeah, and I can math. I can math. <laughs> I can math. I, I can math. And uh, and to me, that sounded like a three bagger. You know, minimum a three bagger, three percent deal. It was extremely challenged neighborhood, but uh, I just I was out of out of single families because institutional, which I now know is due to institutional money. Duplexes were in short supply. Uh, here it is uh, within two and a half miles of you know downtown slash uptown Charlotte, a uh, uh, a twenty unit apartment complex at at a little over fifteen k a door. I had to pull the trigger, so. Yeah, that 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 was my. So that was your first jump. That was my introduction. Yeah, and I mean, it was just, it was just, I had to do it. I had to yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, and then, then my, more or less, that kind of exhausted my uh, investable cash. That was, and did you stroke a check for that, or did you finance that? I financed that. I stroke checks for the. Yeah. I, I I had money for the for the, the single families and the duplexes. Was that something new for you, like? Work, so that was your first time actually having to work with a bank, and I guess you're going to them, going, "Hey, yeah, so I've got a couple of single families, and hey, by the way, I'd like to go ahead and finance this uh, twenty unit, <laughs> yeah, twenty unit apartment building." So I, I felt, you know, I, I was in a pretty decent position to make my argument. Uh, I got a lot of my my corporate career was with in banking, uh, in investment management and banking. Um, Funny story about investment management for another time, but uh, oh, we've got time if it's that good. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're ready. I, I was I did technology stuff for uh, for an investment manager, which I won't name, and um, the fund manager for the tech fund. Here I am. I'm just their tech guy, right? I'm more or less. I mean, it's a little little more than your basic tech. Uh, but uh, I was a tech guy, and the tech fund manager asked me what I thought about a stock, and he really wanted my opinion. And as flattering as you might think that would be, it, quite the contrary, I was horrified. I'm like, oh my god, is this how you're picking stocks? You just like grab a dude out of the hallway, you know? <laughs> um, and, and that really, that really set me on a path to like, hey, I don't know if that's really what I, yeah. where, how I want my money uh, invested, managed. managed. Yeah. yeah. And this guy was like a, a, this is a big firm in Chicago. Uh, respected fund manager, but I think he really was just like, hey man, what do you think about this? Should I do it? And I was just, I'm not qualified. I shouldn't have been asked. Uh, I was, I was stunned. So anyway, uh, but but nonetheless, I, I bring a uh, investment management, even if, even though it was my heavy on the technology side, investment management, uh, banking technology background. Um, so I felt like I was, you know, capable of making a, a good argument to somebody from an underwriting perspective. I'm surely there's better people, but uh, but I, I felt pretty well equipped. And really, ultimately, what I said is, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm succeeding on these other properties, you know. And at that time, I had nine units, you know, three three single families and and three duplexes for six duplex units. Plus, so, you know, yeah, we're doing well. Uh, you got here, a track record, and, and every one of those had been renovated. Yeah. So I had managed renovation projects, and so uh, I made the pitch. I said, "Hey, look, here's a value. You know, how could we not succeed? Uh, you know, we did it over here, which is a challenged neighborhood. We did it over here, which is a challenged neighborhood. Uh, our, our friends at BBNT 
nice. finance that. So uh, I'm uh, very appreciative to them for having uh, taken a chance on me at that time. At yeah. that time. So. so that first 20 unit made the jump on. What made it attractive to you, like, besides the, the price per door of, like, this is an area and a challenged neighborhood that you think you could improve? I wish that I could take credit for <laughs> wanting to improve it. Per yeah. se. I, I think, I think I have, have a, my thinking has evolved a little bit, you know, when I first started the investing, it was just really like, Hey, you know, this is just a, a straight investment opportunity. Here's a distressed property. You know, I can, ex- I, I can exploit something here. Um, and uh, there's value to, to, to be extracted. But I, I will say that over time, my philosophy has changed. And I really do think about and focus um, on the impact to the neighborhood a lot more. Um, and so I, I wish I could say that I went in with uh, the view that I was uh, hoping to improve the neighborhood. But I definitely exited that deal knowing knowing that i improved Mm -hmm. that neighborhood so now as part of my kind of uh broader investment philosophy i bring this view that hey look uh not only are we trying to you know produce results for my family um but i'm trying to produce results for the people who live in the communities that i own to answer the question a little more directly at the time it was really hey look 15k a door i had been paying 45k a door and thinking i was crushing it i mean i thought that it was an awesome opportunity even with four down units um just thought it was a great opportunity but uh now the thought process has evolved a little bit and uh part of the opportunity is improving the community for the people who live there so I don't know. Does that answer the question? Was that kind of where you're, no, yeah. where you're going? Um, yeah, what I was really asking about is, I mean, it's great to understand that you definitely care about improving the community and lives for the people there. What I was looking at is like, you're buying it for 15K a door. It's selling at that price for a reason. How did you overcome some of those challenges? Like, did it need a lot of renovation or like, what did that look like? Yeah, the the type of apartment product that it is is extremely common here in Charlotte. These, uh, it's townhome style units. Um, I already owned that type of product in the duplex. It's just not on the scale. So I've felt real confident about uh, the ability to renovate it. And ultimately, so one building was pretty well down. That was uh, that was roofs and um, some structural flooring. That scared me a little bit. I hadn't gotten kind of into that, but I, I felt, again, at the at the 15k a door even if i have to invest say 15k per door i'm still at a lower um entrance price than you know anything else that i could find at the time so uh it still represented a, a real strong value from my perspective so uh and then ultimately over time we renovated the units uh as they became available and we kind of had a uh, calibrated those renovations. So cosmetic renovations, floors, uh, light fixtures, paint, hardware, um, and then uh, cabinets only if they were absolutely necessary. Uh, oftentimes we'll just do the vanity because the vanity in an apartment like this is, is, is de minimis expense, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, it was just a 
there were enough tenants in the in the property to just maintain the to maintain the uh, mortgage right off the bat. So it was just it was cash flowing from day one. So it just really wasn't something that that scared me. And then over time, it's, here here's something I think is interesting because I know more now. But over time, uh, some of the big capital projects came resurfacing the parking lots, re-roofing the, the, the whole property, new windows throughout the property, uh, to a, a lesser degree, painting all the exteriors. So ultimately, that became part of the improvements that were implemented, but that was never part of like a grand design either. You know, now it's part of my grand design when I go into a project, you know, hey, look, what are all the capital projects? But that was this was just by accident that yeah. uh, it was just discovery, like, hey, look. And then... Uh, it was interesting because when I've gone to the bank and said, hey, look, uh, I like to um, do a little cash out refi, uh, I would ask for just the tiniest little amount. Yeah. That was, I would go in asking for just the tiniest little amount. Like, hey, uh, I like to do the parking lots this year. Can we do a cash out refi for 50 grand? <laughs> I mean, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I look at it differently now, of course. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I could have, I could have patched it. What's I your advice to do it now? Yeah, that's yeah. a good transition. So. That's yeah. a great question. Yeah. So, acquire a property, improve it, uh, get as far as you can. If you got other major capital stuff that you really want to do, I mean, everybody's strategy is different. Mine's a refi and roll strategy, which we kind of talk a little bit about um, to draw a distinction between how some other people might do it. But I got a refi and roll strategy. And ultimately, you know, you put your money out there to acquire the property, you try to improve it with, with, with cash flow, more or less. And then, you know, if you find that, hey, look, I got to a point where I'm kind of exhausting the, uh, the resources, maybe I do a refi and max that out and use the refi, the cash out refi dollars to push the project to, compl- to some kind of completion, you know, whatever that is. So compare and contrast, uh, when I bought the first complex, I didn't even think to like, hey, look, how, how am I financing these improvements? At what pace am I gonna do these major capital projects? I kind of have all my money out there into the property to begin with. Uh, I, I just uh, wasn't very sophisticated about it. So with the benefit of hindsight, what I would have done is I would have got, you know, used the money I had to um, renovate the units as they, as they came available. And then once, you know, uh, critical mass, say, you know, 15 to 20 or something like that, or maybe maybe more, just a little debatable there. But once I got to a critical mass of renovated units, then I would have done the refi and it would have been one refi versus these tiny little refis. Hey, can I get 50 grand? You know, yeah. the bank loves that. Though. <laughs> oh yeah. They're, they're like, Oh, we could do it. No problem. Another closing. Yeah, yeah sure. another closing. They were, Oh, they were so happy to do it. They're like, <laughs> they're like, they, they, they had caught a sucker. Um, uh, I, I learned as I went, you know, hindsight's 2020 20, and, uh, I know a lot more now, but, uh, but in any event, um, so what you would do is you would probably renovate the units, increase your net operating income, increase the value of your property, do the one refi, um, do maybe your capital projects, and then, you know, you got to decide what, what your ex- exit is, you know. And now, uh, I don't know how you identified them or how what kind of model you ran on, on any of these purchases, but from talking to you uh, recently, it sounds like now you've, you've kind of got a a set in stone model that you'll run a, a purchase through to see if it if it works. Can you talk a little bit about what you're looking for? Or, yeah, or what definitely. You're trying to find definitely. I got a a couple of of strategies. Really, what I'm trying to find is something where 
you know, rents have not been maximized for whatever reason, you know, bad management, a lack of owner interest in renovating units. Uh, maybe they don't see the, maybe they don't really have clarity on, uh, the value that, uh, $200 increase brings to the property. So a whole bunch of reasons why somebody might might not have invested in a property uh, and let it kind of deteriorate a little bit. And so I just, that's what I look for. I, I Yeah, I mean, there's a, and there's a ton of people looking for the same thing I'm right. looking for. I know that. I know that. Um, not everybody, I would say if there's anything different about me, is that I'm very heavily involved in the renovations. I don't just turn it over to somebody. And uh, and I got real good clarity on what the costs are. And I have some strategies that help me determine whether return and whether the rent increase is really there. Okay. Can you talk through like what those look like? Yeah, this is getting into some, the some trade. Sauce. This is the secret sauce. This is the trademark stuff. All but right, uh, right. but uh, for your for your podcast view, listeners, <laughs> rather, uh, I, I'll share it. It's a couple of things I do. There's some boots on the ground stuff that I do in a market. Uh, for example, one of my properties in Salisbury, North Carolina, which is about 45 minutes from Charlotte. When I went, I, initially when I saw this property, it met a lot of my criteria in terms of size, in terms of you know the unit count that I was hoping to achieve and uh, how much money I was trying to place in the market uh, to acquire a property. So it, it, it hit a lot of check boxes. Just the property itself, but obviously it's heavily dependent on market and sub-market. Charlotte market as a whole is good, uh, which I would think most of your your listeners would know this, but you know, there's different parts and this is 45 minutes away and uh, whether that's uh, good or bad was uh, a little bit unclear to me. So uh, I, I went and uh, I do a couple of things. I go out to several different lunch spots in a market and uh, if the lunch spots are busy, that's a big sign. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big sign. Yeah, but probably the most telling thing uh, about whether a market is in good shape or not is uh, going to a big box uh, hardware store. So you go to Lowe's mm. in Salisbury, and I will tell you, uh, you'll be so desperate to get out of there because you have waited in line so long uh, that you might be in tears. Literally, that, it, that's how long it takes you to get out of that store, and that's how busy it is. That's how busy it is. So that tells you that that a lot of stuff is going on in that market. Uh, so that's my boots on the ground strategy. Um, that's that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is I I actually put Facebook Marketplace ads out for an mm. equivalent property. Oh wow! And I place it in that market. Yeah. To determine what the demand looks like from At that. different price points. Uh. I'm not quite that sophisticated. Yeah. I put it at the price point that I want to be at. You <laughs> there know? you go. It's a different price point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's at a different price point. It's a different sneaky. price point than it's selling at. I'll tell you that much. But uh, that's but sneaky that, good right there. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. take. You can take that. Yeah, that is extremely telling. Yeah. I mean, but we can move on to the next subject now. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a really good nugget there. Yeah, like, we'll, we'll we yeah. might even take that out. That's yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. That one. I, I, I'm reluctant to share that one a, a yeah. little bit because I. I I, uh, I do take pride in having devised that strategy a little bit. And I've got uh, a, a buddy that does the same thing. A buddy, huh? Yeah, yeah. a buddy. He'll, yeah. he'll put a property under contract and then start marketing it and see what the demand is. Mm-hmm. 
and he may or may not have a signed lease before it <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not not recommending that anyone if it ends up in the recording, but yeah. is that your same buddy that goes to the doctor and asks questions about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, same guy. Same, same guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> so All right, that anyways, back yeah, to so, the subject. Yeah, Wait. so I I mean those, those so that's that's some of you know, big picture. I try to find something that meets the the criteria for how much money I'm trying to place which is as much as I could possibly place yeah. at any given time. You know, when I'm, when I'm acquiring, when I'm acquiring, I want to put all my money to work. Uh, a couple things, you know, I got a doubling strategy, which is when I acquire, I'm trying to double the size of the portfolio. It only works to a point, you know. Um, it can work pretty far if you start to think you could acquire a company that owns yeah, apartments. Yeah, like a portfolio. Yeah, yeah, but but I, I got a bit of a double, doubling strategy, so the, the goal is to always double the size of the portfolio with the acquisition. And uh, in order to accomplish that, you got to place, you got to you got to put some money out there, Yeah, you know, and you gotta just buy as large as you can with, with what resources you have. Can you talk through, like, in this competitive market we are in, in multifamily, what are some of the things you look at? Like, what made you identify that 80-something unit you recently purchased? What made you identify that and see opportunity that others may have passed on? I don't know that others passed on it. Uh, I know what I do to uh, acquire, which is uh, different than what I think other people do to acquire. This might be a nugget. Yeah, let's hear. This How do you acquire deals? So some people are going to be familiar with the best and final, uh, submit an LOI, a letter of intent, uh, which expresses your intent to, to make an offer, um, to begin the acquisition process. I do not do that. I will not do that probably ever in my investing career. Cause I think it's a colossal waste of time. I don't have time to draft a bunch of LOIs. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't just not who you are. Nah. Now, my, for me, uh, that doesn't have a high, high, uh, an acceptably high enough success rate to to do. It just does not have an accept, acceptably high enough success rate. If I think to myself, um, one in twenty of my LOIs, you know, could I, I, I don't operate that way. I see something I want, and and I make a offer to purchase, you know, on a on an attorney drafted purchase and sale agreement, and I just make the offer. The other thing that I tell the sellers that dealing with is, hey, look, it's just me. There's no partners. There's nobody else that's going to be involved in this that's going to cause this deal to go sideways. There's no capital raise a la a syndication. It is simply me. If I tell you I'm going to acquire this property that I have, I can demonstrate right now that I have the cash to do it. There's nothing that's going to happen outside of some major due diligence, and that's ultimately something that you can control. Um, something that you haven't disclosed. The only thing that would stop this deal from happening is that there's something that you haven't disclosed to me. If the disclosures are accurate, uh, then we're gonna we're gonna be moving to closing. And uh, surety of close is really important to folks that put this much effort in. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that's my strategy. I, I don't do an LOI. I purchase and sale agreement. I say, hey, it's here now. But if you if you try to subject me to like a best and final, I will not be there. And it's just, and I will not, I will not do that. I will not tell them, hey, look, here's an offer, but then I will later come and be at the back end for uh, best and final. I just gotta stick to my word and uh, 
I'm making your offer. I'm making you the most attractive offer I can possibly make for you, more or less. You know, I'm not saying we can't do a little negotiating, but uh, but I will not be around for a uh, best and final. So here it is. Do you like it? Let's yeah. do business. I'm gonna close. Period. Yeah, that level of surety is very important. Are you dealing directly with a broker or the owner? Uh, overwhelmingly, their broker deals. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, all of my, my last sale was a brokered sale. Uh, yeah, th- there's always been an agent. There's always been an agent. It's just whether they're a multifamily sort of broker, bigger guy, you know, with like a Marcus and Miller chap, or have they been smaller in the past? The 12 unit I own and the 20 unit that we talked about at some length, uh, those were like a conventional real estate agent, ret- yeah. retail agent. But now, uh, just given the size of the properties, is is commercial agent, commercial, you know, multifamily, Marks and Miller chap. Signs. Are most of these properties have they been listed, or are you getting them directly from the broker before they're listed? Like, are they pocket listings, or are they on LoopNet it's, and then pushed it, out? No, I mean uh, they're definitely not on LoopNet. They're definitely not on LoopNet. Uh, all I could say is, uh, what constitutes? I, I think it's really interesting. I don't know really what constitutes being a listed property in multifamily does that mean it's on the broker's website uh does that mean they've shopped it around via email i I really don't have clarity on that Uh, i think that there's a lot of ambiguity there and people 100 percent. people mean different things people mean different things i mean in the mobile home game which you know i've got a few of those and it's definitely the case where you won't find it on the internet, but that thing's getting shopped around. That's yeah, yeah. It's on, that's on, that's on, on a hundred email emails. Chain. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm sure these were shopped. Um, maybe some people were thinking, "Hey, look, uh, I'll put an LOI in." And I'm like, "Yeah, great. You do that. I'm gonna have this purchase. under contract. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have it under contract, my friend." So it's just food for thought. You have to have, feel pretty confident you know you got to have a good purchase and sale agreement something that's flexible that you can modify so you can submit to them you know but uh you gotta feel pretty pretty confident that you know you're it's worth it's worth taking that step versus just the loi well we're we uh we're hitting a lot of good notes here where, where are you at what's your temperature right now in the in the current market are you still you know trying to get deals i'm sure you are but like are you what's your temperature for it so uh, because I have a kind of a refi and roll strategy, I'm in the market. Then I'm busy uh, working on renovations and trying to improve the operations and raising the net o- operating income so that I can refi out my investment. So at the moment, I'm really not looking for anything. Um, I'm not looking to acquire anything. It's just a it's a slow period where it's uh, all investment in the property before yeah. before a refi. I'm hoping to refi my Salisbury property in the June to August timeframe, somewhere in there, at which point the property will be fully uh, fully renovated and fully rented up at the higher price point. That's uh, over $200 per door. But that's like a $7,500 investment, 7,500 to eight, eight grand investment per door. Uh, but it'll be a, a impactful refi. At that point, I'll have funds to uh, pursue another acquisition. Getting to your point, so that's a long way of saying uh, at the moment, I'm not actually acquiring but you know i hope to be in uh june august with that said i'm concerned i'm concerned about the types of opportunities i'm seeing out there yeah Uh, you know i think 
that rule, the 1% rule, uh, which is a rule that a lot of uh, smaller single-family home rental investors are aware of and follow, that needs to be followed for the type of multifamily that I'm interested in. Got to still, the, the 1% rule, you just multiply it by 82, right? The 1% rule still has to apply. Yeah. Uh, if it, and, and interestingly, a lot of the multifamily folks that I know, some of them haven't, didn't come up through the, the single family ranks. Some of them didn't. So they put it all in the spreadsheet. They don't know the 1% rule. I'm sure that the spreadsheet is protecting them on some level, but recently saw a, a very respected investor in Texas say, hey, don't you think the 1% rule should apply even in even in multifamily? And I was like, yeah, bingo, eureka, that's right. Um, so, so you do actually listen or follow or read stuff nowadays. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not winging it completely. Uh, no, 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 no longer winging it. No, we could talk about my favorite real estate books, uh, maybe if you ever invite me back. But um, Well, give us a couple. Yeah, well, all right, let's hear it. Is it Dave? What's that? Lindahl? Uh, Dave Lindahl's yeah. uh, Multifamily Millions. Uh, his other book, which is uh, Emerging Markets. McElroy's uh, Advanced Real Estate Investing. That one in particular is eye-opening. Advanced Real Estate uh, Investing by McElroy. I don't, can't recall uh, his first, first name at the moment. That book in particular, what I think is so fascinating about it is that it does a compare and contrast of real estate to um, to more traditional asset manager assets, right? More traditional stocks and bonds. And uh, what's so interesting about that is that whenever you see real estate and stocks put on a graph together, stocks always eclipse real estate by growth in 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 principle. But that doesn't capture everything for real estate. That's what's so fascinating. What's so fascinating is, so my real estate's moving at 8% and the stock market is moving at 10%, let's just say for the sake of argument. Well, what about the fact that my tenants are paying for that? So it's the below the line. Yeah. It's the below the line. It's it, everything that's below the line, below that 8% growth. I have, a, I have 126 people contributing to my 401k. Yeah. Think about that. 126 people are contributing. You can't. It's a small army. Yeah, it's a small army. It's getting bigger. I promise yeah. you that. So um, that that's interesting by itself. That uh, yeah. that somebody is paying down your equity, your equity, right, or, or increasing your yeah. equity by paying down your your mortgage. Um, so it's not just the top line eight eight percent to ten ten percent, which is what always is put in a graph. They never show you the other pieces. Well, what about uh, depreciation yeah. on top of it all depreciation too no book is going to do a better job of articulating this than it, it advanced real estate investing from McElroy which is part of the um, part of the rich dad poor dad publishing series uh, that book is uh, phenomenal fantastic I think if you take multifamily millions and uh, the McElroy book uh, advanced real estate investing I mean you can go pretty far with that. There's also a book called Tax-Free Wealth, uh, which is really a good, good book by Wainwright. Um, that just the fundamental principle there, I don't know that I'm uh, 100% on board with the, the, the philosophy, but it does explain that real estate investing is encouraged by the government for a reason uh, because it has job-creating 
benefits. function. Yeah. Yeah. Effects. So that tax free wealth, advanced real estate investing, and uh, multifamily millions. Those are those are for sure the top three. What about uh, listening? Do you, do you outside of our podcast? Do you have any other? podcast that <laughs> there, there's a there's a couple of podcasts i i'd say uh this is the first one far and away far and away uh far and away my favorite uh folks that i know so uh uh far and away this is this is my favorite but but other ones that i do like um would be uh, uh old capital out of uh texas for multifamily, it's uh, it's probably amongst the best. I do like uh, Jake and Gino a lot. Uh, one of theirs in particular, I think, is really interesting. So they, uh, Jake and Gino, have uh, their their podcast broke up into um, uh, a different series, and one of them is uh, multifamily. Uh, it just it's an emphasis on the uh, the positive impacts for your actual family, your personal family, by being involved in the multifamily business. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, those are those are two that really stick out. Uh, o Capital being probably the best for the serious investor. Yeah. What's your uh, long term? I mean, are, are you enjoying what you're doing, and are you are you looking to keep acquiring in the future? Or? I am. I am. Can I share a story? Absolutely. Can I share a story? So I love this story. Um, the story involves a, a guy who, a uh, 30-year-old guy, 30-something-year-old guy, puts a, um, puts a property under contract, uh, multifamily property. And uh, throughout the process, you know, he's got broker in between him and the, the seller. Uh, and the seller is just fighting for value. Which, you know, it's okay. I respect that, you know. Uh, buyers fighting for value. Sellers fighting for value. Uh, everybody's got their own interests. It's okay. It's okay. No harm, no foul. But but this buyer is shocked by just like, this guy is just tough. Tough as nails. It gets close to closing. You know, they get kind of past all the contentiousness and they've moved on and sort of the bargain is struck, right? And they're getting ready for closing and the broker reaches out and says, oh, hey, uh, we're going to have to push closing. Uh, the seller is going in for uh, a surgery. He finds out that the seller who is fighting so hard for value was 95 years old. What is the takeaway? Why am I sharing this story? I love that this is a business that you can be in <laughs> until you are old. Uh, so long as the mind is sharp, you can do it. And I don't ever want to retire. The idea of retiring and sitting around doing nothing is completely uh, unappealing to me. And so the thought of that old guy, I want to be that old yeah, guy. Yeah, 95-year-old holding strong. Yeah, yeah, holding strong, you know, dig my heels in, you know, not not in a difficult way, you yeah. know. I mean, I, I try to try to work with, uh, in fact, I probably do too much uh, to work with the, the my counterparties in my transactions, but... I just think uh, I just think that that story uh, found that really impactful to think that here it is this guy you know a lot of jobs you can't do and when you're 95 you know well nobody can see you here but you've got at least another what five or ten years before five, you're five nine, before you're 95 for sure, <laughs> for sure five for sure five so I th I think the takeaway really is uh, I love it yeah. I love it I love doing it I, I love it for so many reasons I love the 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 freedom it affords me, frankly, yeah. uh, number one, you know, I, I have uh, time and uh, sufficient financial freedom. I mean, I'm not, there's always room for improvement there, right? Uh, yeah. But uh, but but I don't 
have to go to work for anybody anymore. That's where I'm at now, you know. But I mean, you guys would 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 uh, appreciate that yourselves. But uh, that's something that took a, a long time for me to get to. Um, I, I didn't have clarity as on that as a goal early on, um, and maybe I could have got there a little quicker if I had had clarity on that as goal. But so I got financial. I got financial freedom such that I don't have to work for anybody else. Um, I have an increasing time freedom, which, um, you know, is, is feels good, you know, that I kind of own my own schedule. Those are the personal benefits just for me. Um, but then I think I love transforming these properties. I love it. I love it. I take a tremendous sense of pride. And that, that's something that uh, I didn't have early on, but now I have. I know I'm improving the lives of the people that live in these communities. I know it. I've seen it. In fact, right around the corner from where this podcast is being recorded uh, in the Belmont neighborhood, I did 12 units on Siegel. That property uh, had an extremely dangerous drug dealer in it when I acquired it. And we were able to move him out. And I kid you not, overnight, they started building houses across the street. Overnight. uh, Once we started that project. I I don't want to take... Uh, undue credit for that but an opportunity presented itself it was seized um, and the impacts and if it wasn't me it would have been somebody else definitively definitively so again I don't want to take too much credit but as it happened it was me uh, that did this particular project and it had uh, a profound impact on the Belmont neighborhood which is just literally we're in Belmont neighborhood Uh, it's literally around the corner Um, so I, I just I just love it I love what I do. Yeah. I love what I do. I love what I do on the apartment side, and I'm I'm excited to see what I can do uh, on the the new construction, new home side. Well, you're passionate about it. I like the energy you bring to it, so I think it's fun. Thank you. Yeah, Thank man. you. Appreciate that. Well, Appreciate uh, that. we'll probably try and wrap this up. Jim, you want to uh, go, go with your... some rapid-fire yeah, questions? do it. All right, you got 60 seconds to answer each question, preferably faster. Are you ready? All right, hit me. All right, what's your favorite way to source deals? Uh, call a broker, tell them, Hey, I'm looking to buy something <laughs> straight up. I mean, that's, Hey, I'm looking to buy something. Show me what you got. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. What is uh, a book you most recommend to others? Um, how to win friends and influence people. I need to read that like once a year to, <laughs> to get along with folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kidding about that a little bit, but, uh, I just think, uh, Dale Carnegie, the wisdom in that book is, is absolutely, uh, timeless, absolutely timeless. Uh, I'd yeah, say that a old, old book, yeah, it's so true. Everything in it is so powerful, so impactful. I would say if I can answer that with one other book, um, the, uh, the power of positive thinking, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, I think that, that is a extremely powerful, impactful book. And, uh, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage folks to, to read it. Uh, it's got a spiritual slash religious component, but uh, the the lessons to take away uh, apply very broadly. Yeah. And then if you can add one thing to a property, add value, what is that? Uh, if if like one I, renovation item. Tile backsplash. <laughs> tile backsplash, right. there we go. I, I, put, I put tile backsplash in properties that nobody else would do that in. <laughs> yeah. Literally nobody else it would do that. It makes a difference though. It's like a wow factor. Yeah. I, I just tell you that if you think about it, it's easy to clean. True, true. That is true. Um, if you think about it, even in my lower end renovations where it's $3,000, uh, 
$100 is a extremely small investment. And sometimes it's just uh, one foot by, you know, like the area is one foot by four foot or, you know, maybe one foot by six foot or something like that. It's not much. 18 inches probably, you know, there's probably some kind of code that I'm, I'm, I'm mis, uh, uh, misquoting here. But, uh, but ultimately, it's such a small area. It's such a small investment, but it is and this is on the apartment side, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it is so impactful, especially when people are not expecting it. Uh, it's just a small thing that you can do for your tenant to make them feel a little better about the the, the property they yeah. live in. And then lastly, what do you like to do for fun outside of real estate deals? Uh, what I really enjoy doing, which I don't get as much time to do, uh, is uh, volleyball. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't get anywhere near as much time to play volleyball as I like, but uh, I love to play volleyball. I love to, to ride my bike. But, you know, obviously, well, not obviously because we hadn't really talked about it, but uh, but uh, my family is very important to me and, and, and time spent with family. We got little ones and uh, that's where the focus is now. So volleyball has got to wait, uh, but uh, <laughs> maybe there'll be a time for it uh, <laughs> at some future future date. So Nice. Well, Roy, thanks again, man. We really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to doing it again. Yeah, well, I had a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I sincerely appreciate it. I have been asked by others to be on a podcast, but uh, but this is the first one. So uh, thank you so much for uh, getting me over that. And uh, I yeah, appreciate it. And before we hop off, can you uh, let our listeners know where they can find more about you, where they might be able to connect with you if they want to talk business or have questions? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, court construction group uh court holdings group uh both of those have uh websites and facebook facebook pages uh from a facebook perspective i also um uh admin a group called the carolina's multifamily network um and uh that's just a place where folks in the carolinas who are interested in multifamily uh who you know want to connect with others who have, share that interest this is a forum for for folks to um to share ideas get connected um you know reach out to one another so carolina's multifamily network a court holdings group a court fine home building those are some some places that uh, i can be reached Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was fantastic, man. Awesome. Awesome. You guys are the best. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Who Knows Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and check out our show notes for the guest contact info as well as ours. Be sure to look for our next episode. Thanks.